In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to another beautiful day i hope the sun is shining and the birds are singing and i got a wonderful show for you today the one and only reverend dr jessica rochester and she's an ordained interfaith minister with a doctorate in divinity a transpersonal educator who trained in the work of dr roberto asagioli and trained with dr stanislav graf from 1986 to 2018 she's been a workshop leader a teacher and in private practice she continues to lecture on consciousness, non-ordinary states of consciousness, self-discovery, spiritual development, and personal transformation. She is the madrina and president of the Sioux de Montreal, a Santo Daime church she founded in 1997 in Montreal, Canada. From 2001 to 2017, she worked with Health Canada to achieve the recognition of the Santo Daime as a legitimate religion and the right to import the Santo Daime sacrament for ritual use. In June 2017, this mission was accomplished and Suda Montreal received an exemption to import and serve the Santo Daime Sacrament. She's on a mission to inspire and empower those who seek the adventure of self-discovery, those who hope to awaken consciousness, to rediscover authenticity, to find meaning in everyday life, and cultivate deep connections with oneself, with others, and with nature. Self-mastery is a psycho-spiritual journey of self-realization that requires good maps to guide the way and courage, faith, and willpower to navigate life's various challenges. It is possible to achieve and maintain greater health and well-being on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, creative, and spiritual by working with the principles of self-care, self-awareness, self-love, self-respect, and self-responsibility. Her work is dedicated to providing the maps and tools to facilitate personal growth and transformation awakening to the knowledge of our own true self, and we can choose to live with consciousness, wisdom, and kindness. And for those watching, you can see what her book looks like here. This is a two-volume set, Ayahuasca Awakenings. I highly recommend everybody check it out. Dr. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. I hope the world is treating you well. 
Well, thank you so much. It was that was so amusing because here you are giving this, you know, like amazing introduction. And I'm watching your two cats have a, a battle in the background, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's a perfect for you know, as one was trying to dominate the other. It's like the perfect example of life, you know, dominate, resist, dominate. And that's in part what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you, as always, for giving me this opportunity to sit with you and have these discussions, which are so much fun, and hopefully, um, you know, bring interest to other people and spark other conversations and further the discussion about these important issues that do need to be talked about, uh, with the understanding that there will be different viewpoints and that there needs to be space for different viewpoints and that no one person holds the truth uh, we're actually lucky if we hold a small piece of the puzzle okay and if we can find where it fits then we will have done amazing okay so avoid people who think they have the whole picture because there is no such thing um and on that note what we're going to do is a quick little resume of some of the things we've been talking about this last few months to help put into perspective the conversation we're going to have today is that good that sounds yeah. fantastic okay so we've been talking about you know a lot of what i cover in my books and for those of you who are not familiar with this work then i just really encourage you to to take a look at them and um given the advances in the field of understanding about entheogens and psychedelics, I was compelled to write these books based on 40 years of working in private practice and the workshops and the, and the you know, all the work that I've done and then 27 years of being uh, the madrina of Soda Montreal and drinking and serving my 14 year apprenticeship in that field. And um, there's some things that I noticed and there's just some things that I learned. And all I'm really doing is passing on what I found helpful, what others found helpful, and what hopefully people in the future will find helpful and will help them ask more questions and do more self-discovery. And so one of the key pieces of this as we learn about who am I and why am I here and what is my life about and what is this reality and where was I before I came here and where do I go after I leave here and you know, all those existential questions that everyone at one point in their life is going to ask themselves, right? Yep. No, no matter culture, creed, religion, path, whatever it is, these are universal questions that we are all going to ask ourselves. And the answer lies within. You know, we can share what we found, we can share our experiences, but in the end, the bottom line is each person must find that deep inside of themselves. And all we can do as facilitators, guides, helpers, therapists, practitioners, researchers, academics, in all the different fields that we're working, all we can do is provide the opportunity, the information, the research, and or the heritage or the history of the practices. And then we're just kind of setting the stage. It's kind of like a garden, whereby if you plant a garden and you buy a healthy plant, okay, and you give it the right soil, the right water and the right sunlight, it'll grow. I mean, it, it, there has to be a something that it doesn't, you know, and there has to be something that interferes with the natural process of 
life moving towards itself, life recreating itself. This is a universal force that exists in everything. You know, every everything that is in physical matter reality is all about recreating itself, whether it's grass or dolphins or eagles or humans or something. Okay, the next generation, the next season is what the thrust is always towards. And so if we understand that that's part of our own soul, our soul is looking to self-discover and grow and hopefully self-master. And at the core of that is going to be our will. We talked a while ago about the will and willpower and how it can be influenced when we're really young and we can get it out of balance and it can become too rebellious or it can become too pleasing. And we can acquiesce to everything and everyone around us and that makes us a pleaser or codependent or, or we can go through life rebelling against everything and, and you know, don't, nobody tells me what to do. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it my way. And it, it, we could see all of this in society and in our culture and everything. It's everywhere around us, you know. And it's not restricted to any particular percentage of the population by any means, okay. And no one should take ownership of only their culture has that because no, no, it's human, right. And, and, and then you have that, what I was laughing at with your cats, you know, the one was casually sitting there, the other one went up and went yeah. black. <laughs> okay. And you now this is normal in cats. They're just reminding each other who's on top mm -hmm. today. Right. And, and yet we have this inside of us. We have this kind of willpower to assert ourselves in certain situations and and how do we use that willpower to bring ourselves forward in life to have the discipline that we need and to use this powerful willpower of energetic force that I believe lives in third chakra and that is part of our sense of responsibility and our sense of self and who we are in the world. Okay, when your cat was busy dominating, that cat wasn't just saying, hey, hey, that's my favorite place and get out of it. <laughs> okay. Okay. The cat was sending a whole lot of messages about who I am. Okay. Who I am in the world, who I am in this family, who I am in this place. Okay. And, and that's in part what we're going to be talking about today is how does that sense of self, sense of responsibility and the power of the will how do we keep that in balance? How do we keep it healthy? And what happens when it's not in balance and not healthy? And what's happening when it is? I love Scott Peck, the American psychiatrist, who wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. I'm not so keen on his other work, but I think most of the stuff that's in that book is certainly worth reading. And, and he talks about, he asks himself the question in one of his other books, what is evil? You know, he's reflecting on what is evil, and he comes down to the down to the definition that evil is willful ignorance. Do you like that one, George? Yeah. Willful ignorance. In other words, I am choosing to be ignorant about that. It's not an un, un, unknowing. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, which we can all be forgiven for. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. As far as willful ignorance goes, it's when you throw the trash into the compost bin. It's when you throw the recycling, littering it in the park. That's willful ignorance. You know 
you should just hang on to it until you get to the recycling deposit thing or take it home and put it in your own recycling deposit. You know that if you throw your, your junk and your trash and your recycling in the compost bin, that that renders that whole bin not compostable. Right? Yeah. But hey, who cares? Because it was more convenient to me. Okay. So that's the first thing we're looking at is what happens when power, will, responsibility, when something happens there? And is it a choice? Is it willful ignorance? Is it, yeah, I kind of know better and I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway because. Talk to me. What makes sense here? I agree. Like, you know, I'm getting a little bit of feedback on your. Can you, can you, as I speak to you, I can hear myself through your mic. That's a bit of a, okay, that sounds better. Thank you. I do. I agree that willful ignorance is maybe it's a manifestation of the ego because you know you're doing something wrong, but there's something behind it. It's almost like you're trying to get one up on the world by doing it. Like I, I'm going to do this and I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then you come up with this list of reasons why you rationalize it's okay. And I think I, I've done it pl plenty of times. I don't, looking back on it, I'm not proud of that, but I think being aware of it, maybe this takes us back to self-awareness is what helps give you the answer. Yes, that's why, you know, self-care is self-awareness first, then self-love, and all the self-respect and self-responsibility. Awareness, awareness, awareness. I'm aware that I'm doing this, okay? And you've said it very nicely. I'm aware that I'm doing this, and this is willful ignorance. I'm aware of doing this, and I don't care. I'm aware of doing this, and and uh, the con there will be consequences. But if they're not directly in this moment to me, why do I care? And if I can get away with it, ha ha ha. Well, hello. There's the rest of us. That th those consequences can shift on down to the rest of us. So whether it is at a level of of, you know, let's take it on a high up level and bring it all back down to individual people. But maybe it's on the level of governments where they kind of know it's like, look at the tobacco company, they knew for decades that cancer and health problems were as a direct result of their product. How many decades did they fudge the information and fiddle with the research and buy off and pay off and bury God knows how many papers and people even <clears throat> in an attempt, a willfully ignorant attempt to get the bottom line on their product, which is profits, right? Right. So, you know, where does that take us to? Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, so I'd say more than a cousin, okay? <laughs> I'd say they're twins. <laughs> yes. So out of willful ignorance, what we're seeing is, you know, so again, it can happen on a government level. We can't say that governments were ignorant of what's happening in pharmaceutical companies and in other industries. They know, and it's only when people go with placards or start writing letters or go and nag their member of parliament to do something about it, that all of a sudden the government says, oh, well, yes, okay, well, I guess we better do something with that, okay? And only when it reaches a certain level of, of 
kind of public complaint or concern. Um, and so we can look around and see that this is something that is just simply part of human existence and that it is kept in place with complacency. When people are compliant with and agreeable to it for whatever reason, whether we call that codependency or whether we call that wanting to keep my paycheck or okay. whatever we're going to call it, okay, whatever name it falls under, we just have to acknowledge that it exists. It has consequences for everybody. And then what it, do we do about it on an individual level? You know, that's the piece. Let's bring it on back down now. As an individual, what do we do? Do we speak up? Do we write about it? Do we get lectures on it? Do we write to our member of parliament? Do we try and get on the board of our condo association or our co-op or our union or whatever it is and try and bring forward what we're seeing that needs to be addressed? And do we do it in a way that in you know that encapsulates the is it true, is it necessary? And is it kind because we're doing it in a kind and respectful way? You know? And sometimes that kind part can get really stretched out of shape because trying to keep things true and necessary, somehow you just have to start looking like unkind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because the only way you're gonna get it through is with a sharp point. You know? Yeah. So yeah, excellent point there, George. Entitlement. Okay. Or who was it? Ava. That's and Ava. Yeah. Okay. So Ava, thank you. Excellent point. Thank you for posting it, George. Um, so the twins of entitlement and willful ignorance, and um, in the reality of it now, how can we bring these issues into the conversation that's been going circling around, you know, in my world, in my field for decades, you know, when I, the great gift of training with Stan Groff is I was actually probably for one of the first times working in an organization that was clean. There were no ethical mishaps. There was no shady business. There was no covering up somebody's alcoholism or sexual adventures or, you know, a great read, everybody listening, would be um, Jack Cornfield's After the Ecstasy, the Laundry, in which he addresses at the time. So it's a book that was written around the year 2000, more or less than us. But a book that was addressing the ch ethical challenges that were showing up out of East meets West. Okay. And he realized that a few things were happening uh, that were causing these kind of cracks in 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 the facade of all is well in the spiritual realms and and the you know you know the emperor has no clothes was becoming more and more obvious um that there were severe ethical problems that were hiding behind um you know many layers of of clouds and obscurity and codependency and enabling and entitlement and looking good and pressure management that there was just layers of stuff that was happening how to address it how to address it so that good comes from it not just condemnation and let's draw bombs but how to address these difficult situations so that good comes from it you know and this is a very 
you know, I'm not Indigenous and make no claims to be so, but I am blessed to have Indigenous friends and colleagues and who throughout all of the years who kindly shared some of their wisdom with me, um, for which I feel honored and blessed. And, and some of the deep teachings about how to manage difficult things as the tribe sits down and everyone gets a chance to talk about how that difficult thing is affecting them. And the tribe holds people accountable. It's not just the president of the organization. It's not just the prime minister or the, you know, the Queen of England. Oh, God bless her, she's not here anymore. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? You don't just look to the head of state and blame them. Because, frankly, they may not even know about it. Because it was being hidden layers and layers and layers underneath them. You know? And so... High office demands that you take responsibility. And so people often have to take responsibility for things they knew nothing about. But more often than not, when you come to, and so we're going to bring it on down now into spiritual organizations and what's happening with entheogens and psychedelics and what's happening in all of these centers and retreats and, and things that are happening, you know, and, and, and centers and um, experience organized events that are being created in which people are participating and then we're reading about all of these problems and and I want to give a shout out to Jules Evans who you know God bless him he keeps doing research on the dark side of what's going on and the problems that are happening and trying to put a balanced perspective on the reality you know of Hey guys, we have to pay attention that not everything is a magical ride on the miracle around here. That um, that certain things need to be paid attention to, and then that asks a lot of questions, and then those questions should be answered. And so, you know, recently uh, the conversation has been gearing to, um, you know, uh, it kind of um, leads back to that paper we published in April 2021, which I keep referring to in the journal, Canadian Journal of, of Psychology, which was Entheogens and Psychedelics in Canada Proposal for a New Paradigm. We try to address the problems that we were seeing, that I was seeing for decades, and and that we were seeing just on a, on a larger venue now and a larger stage and bigger numbers, and try to address what are the needs for education, what are the needs for credentialing, who gets credentialed, is there a grandfathering for people who have been apprenticed in heritage traditions, what does that look like? People who are already working in professions, who already have a code of ethics, who've already apprenticed and trained in their field, what additionally do they need to be able to work with these non-ordinary states of consciousness and to work with entheogens and or psychedelics in a way that is responsible and accountable and ethical and that will create the best opportunity for good results. And so those are the questions we offer some, um, you know, we offer some suggestions as to what can be done. I'm really pleased to announce that the, um, you know, the psychedelic program, master's level, graduate level program, University of Ottawa is getting all the green lights. So that should be launched for early next year. And uh, watch that since it was just a, a little thought 
in Professor Ampelali's mind and Professor Monica Williams, and um, it's been a real joy to work with them and see see these programs develop. And you know, blessed to be an advisor to the program, and um, fingers crossed that everything continues to unfold as serious people take these things seriously. And, and it's just simply a question of looking at it all. And then, of course, as we're looking at it, what are we seeing that's kind of what, are we going to call it the dark side or the shadow? Or how are we going to describe it? Human, you know, human longings, humans, human desires. So what are we seeing? We see that some people are grasping hold of the field, psychedelics, let's say, and they're grasping hold of it for money. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the power stuff, which I promised we'd do. Okay, okay. So money, you know, here again, we're back to Jack Cornfield, and it's the usual suspects. You know, it's money, it's sex, it's power, or it's substances. People have issues with substances. And so those are the usual suspects when there's problems. And so we all need to sit back and say, okay, what are my motivations for doing this? I'm just jumping on the bandwagon because I see, hey, there's this opportunity to open a fill-in-the-blank Tatum clinic, psilocybin therapeutic clinic, you know, fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, um, ayahuasca, hybrid, shamanic center. There's this opportunity and I'm going to have power and I'm going to have money and I'm going to have prestige and I'm going to take it filling in the blank. What are these longings that people are looking for? Why are they doing it? <clears throat> How different is that from a calling or a mission? I, I think it speaks to someone's lack of, of, maybe it's lack of lineage. Maybe it's lack of thoroughly understanding. And you had said something in a previous interview and in writings that healing happens inside the body. No one is the medicine. No one is the healer. And I think that that is where the, the absence of recognition about the medicine comes in. Like people don't understand, a lot of people don't know that. And they, they find themselves face to face with this incredible heightened state of awareness where things are happening and they don't understand it. So they confuse themselves with the medicine. And that, with that comes power, with that comes money, with that comes this odd understanding of what's happening. <clears throat> yes. Let's, let's break that. That's good, okay. George. Let's break that down a little bit more into in more definable pieces. Okay. So yes, actually on, on the LinkedIn stream, I started off rather innocently by asking people, please don't call yourself a healer because you know, you know I, I didn't, I don't even think I put it because I said, you know, could everyone please stop calling yourself healers. And then some people wrote in and said, well, Kate, well, what do you mean? Can you write about this? And can you say more or something? And it's like, okay. So I wrote a post, which kind of, I guess in this world you say it went viral because I've never had so many reposts. I've never had so many impressions. I mean, I'm used to looking at a modest response on things that I repost. This, this is still going, you know? And so that awoke more questions. So I said, okay, I'll do another post. Okay, so that one's going in the direction that it's going in because it seems like there's maybe a lot of people who are asking the same questions. Like, you know, shout out to Susan Gunner who, who wrote on, on one of those posts and she says, why is this happening? Can you answer, can you please answer why is this happening? 
So I began and I said, okay, the first thing in, and I pointed to Kylie Taylor's work, which is wonderful, um, The Ethics of Caring. And she talks about um, therapist facilitator vulnerabilities. We all have them. And she used the chakra system to work with it, which simplifies it so beautifully. She has a wonderful chart, each of the chakras and our personal fears and our desires and longings and how we have to address them. Okay. And and, and this is really important because we all have these. Until we recognize that we have unfulfilled needs or unfulfilled longings and desires, they are going to be getting their little hands on the steering wheel of our life. And they will be making our decisions for us. Because whatever is conscious is conscious and whatever we're actively aware of and working on, that's grand. But then we need to work in our unconscious to bring to the surface this again is self-awareness. Why am I making this decision? Why am I behaving like this? Why am I doing this? Why am I accepting this person's higher self projection on me that I'm the greatest thing in the entire world? Excuse me, where's my pedestal? Mm -hmm. <laughs> my little throne. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know, I love what Stan Groff said. He used to say, you know, don't project your higher self on me because mm -hmm. if I accept it, then I have to accept the lower self-projection and that's not so interesting you know so we can't accept one without accepting the other we, you know that's that's how that one goes so why are people calling themselves healers and why are people seeking this power and what is happening and this is a deep question okay so i began to answer it you know using kylie's an, an unfulfilled needs and longings and personal desires and 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 that's a really important part of it people who feel called to serve and they want to help and, and they're curious and they want to know and they want to learn but they just do a skip over of the education and the credentialing part of it okay or the or the true apprenticeship okay if they don't want to go and get a ma something or other Okay, or, you know, a PhD, something or other, a DDoc, whatever, whatever it is that they're, you know, they don't want to do that. That's okay. But then they do need to do a very serious apprenticeship, you know, because if you want to be a medical doctor, you actually have to go to medical school and get a degree and do your internship and your residency and your specialties. And I'm horrified to find out now that I think they also have to do an, an MSc, Master's in Science. Never mind an MD, now you also have to have a, a master's in science. So, you know, this is a huge commitment. And so we have people who kind of get the call and the mission, and then they do the work, you know. Uh, young indigenous man um, was speaking with him recently, and he was talking about the long apprenticeship in the, in the indigenous, uh, some of their uh, rituals. He was talking about, uh, I think it was the sun moon dance, and, and the sweat lodges and how long it takes when you have to ask to learn the songs in the sweat lodge and then once you've got permission to learn them then one of the elders will slowly maybe give you permission to start singing them in the sweat lodge it's a long long process of apprenticeship you have to learn about every part of it and why it's done and what the meaning is and how to be and and how to recognize when people need and um, when they need to open the door and get somewhere, when they need to step out and take a drink of water, when they need to 
for their well-being and the elder know this and because they've been doing it for so many years and because they learned from elders and all of this ancestral wisdom is passed on okay this kind of work is not like buying a cookbook and following the recipe it's not you can read as many books as you want many lectures listen to as many podcasts as you want they will be informative they will be helpful you will learn things but in working in non-ordinary states of consciousness this would be the equivalent of reading about water and then assuming that you're a master scuba diver <laughs> when you haven't learned how to swim yet you haven't even been in the water so entitlement one of our our listeners pop that lovely statement up, which is, is it close to entitlement? Well, yes, because, you know, here's the next step is in our culture, in Western civilization, and particularly North American culture, sad to say, there is this, I can do anything and be everything. And if you look back, when did that come into consciousness? It certainly wasn't the way I was raised. I was raised that you can aim for things. You can work towards things, but it will take effort and responsibility and discipline. And if you work hard and put your good effort into it, then, you know, you will have better consequences than if you didn't put your good effort into it. I was never told, and I never told my children growing up, you can be anything you want, <laughs> okay, because that's not true. You know, my daughter wanted to join the Starfleet Academy which doesn't exist. It's a Star Trek Academy that exists only in films and books, okay? So it doesn't matter if you want to fly the SS Enterprise or whatever it's called, <laughs> you're not going to be doing that. <laughs> it's just, So for me, it's in this, that, I call it new age illusion, fantasy, of I can do anything and I can be everything, rather than I can take my strengths and I can look at what my strengths are and I can do my best and I can choose a goal and I can work towards it and I can give it my absolute best so I can go to university. Yay, I got in because I studied hard and I got the marks, okay? So I go to university and I work my butt off there and I get a part-time job, whatever it is, at Starbucks or something, okay? To help pay the rent, to get my degree to go forward, okay? And then you get your degree and then you hang out your shingle and, ah, and you've joined your organization and you're keeping up your, you know, you're accumulating credits, education credits, and you're doing all of the things that you know you need to do to establish yourself rooted and grounded in this reality. And if you wanna learn things that are contemporary and complementary, which is what I had to do is learn a lot of things on the side of, academia because they weren't being taught at the time. Hey, I understand that, but you know, that's like your extra courses that you take that, but you still have to get your, your groundedness in this reality. And there's only a few ways to do that. So where does this idea come from, George? Can you help me understand where you can do anything and you be anything and you can call yourself anything? Because I don't, I don't understand it, <laughs> you know? I think it's grounded in unrealistic expectations and, an, and a juvenile understanding of love. 
I can speak to that because I know when I was brought up, I was told that like, do you can do anything you want, George? The world's your oyster. And in some ways, it comes from a profound love that like your parents have. They they want you to be able to do that, and in doing that, they feel as if they're not putting limits on you. But that's the wrong way to think about it. And I didn't realize this till I was older. It's not so much that unrealistic expectations are are a horrible thing. It's just that they they give the person an unrealistic expectation of their life, which leads them into longing, which leads them down this road. There's something wrong with me because I can no longer, why, why can't I do this thing? There's something wrong with me. And in some ways yes. it fosters this problem that the, you're giving a child like a weird phobia in a weird sort of way. <laughs> That's where it comes from, I think. I'm so glad to hear you say this. Um, thank you so much for sharing from your own personal life. It's because hard. This, yeah. this is the fruit of the tree that got planted. Okay, these are the consequences. There's a vast difference between saying, you know what, the world's a buffet, and you can get out there and do your best and try your hardest and put your heart into it and find out what you want to do, what you what has heart and meaning for you? Like, I love Joseph Campbell's um, quote about, you know, people who work their entire life to go up the ladder only to find that it's against the wrong wall. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and so that's as hard, you know, people who are driven up that ladder, you have to be a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, and da, 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 and you have to be, okay, that kind of pushing to succeed only in a certain realm has you know, the same kind of consequences that what you were told, hey, you can do anything you want. You just, just go out there and kind of take it, you know? And uh, instead of being, you know, and then that leaves you thinking, oh gosh, there's all of this and nobody's guiding me and nobody's helping me. And, you know, I'm failing because I haven't accomplished this yeah. wonderful, marvelous thing. So there's something wrong with me. So the, that's called the too loose. The other one is the too tight. Too tight is this really strict parenting that pushes you in a certain direction that you have to do this and you must do that, okay? And too loose is, hey, the world's your story. Just do what you want and you're fabulous and you're special and you're wonderful. And well, yes, you are special and wonderful to them. <laughs> but they forgot to put that disclaimer on it. Like, I love you and I think you're special, sweetheart. <laughs> the world's a bit of a tricky, difficult place. So you need to learn some good skills and tools and you got to sharpen up your own strengths. And, you know, that's preparing. That's yeah. preparing, yeah, you know, people for or youngsters for life. And so that's what was the older kind of heritage way of raising children is the elders you know, would look at the young children and they say, that one's going to be a carver and that one's so musical, it's clear they're going to be leading the, the songs, okay? And, and this one can't get his bow and arrow sharp enough and get out after the warriors and the hunters. And they'd look at the children. They'd see the natural abilities that each child would have and they would try to encourage them, not squeeze or press them or force them, but try and encourage them to go in that direction and give them the opportunity to do so. At the same time, teaching them, 
yeah, you may like only doing the carving, but you have to learn to fish and clean up the dishes at the same time. So it was very kind of grounded in in everyday reality. Okay. And so this too loose, too tight thing, you know, again, very Buddhist, finding the middle balance to break. And now, how is this? Um, so insights, urgency towards rushing towards profit. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we mentioned that, you know, profit is one of the, you know, what language shall we use here? What are the challenges on the path? Okay, let's just put it this way. What are the ethical challenges on the path? For people who really and truly feel called to work with entheogens and psychedelics. So the challenges on the path are seeking inside of ourselves. Is this a calling? Is do I really feel called to do this? And how can I do this in a way that is accountable and ethical? How can I do this in a way that will be for the higher good? Why? What is my motive for getting involved in this movement? You know, is that I'm really fascinated in a the research in non-ordinary states of consciousness that I'm really curious about spirituality and want to explore that. That you know that I love working with people and I'm fascinated to help them self-discover. Those are all pretty good reasons, you know, in my world. And, and then you need to look at, do I have the training and the credentialing to be able to do this? And then the so key that is so overlooked by so many people, do I have the support system and the peer review? Do I have a group of peers who are supporting and or counseling? Do I have like shaman or medicine man or woman in a tribe, the elders of the tribe and the tribe keep them accountable? You know, again, Jack Cornfield writes about this, that the main problem that happened ethically is that that kind of Western civilization plucks gurus, Rinpoches, great teachers out of their environment and drops them into a completely different culture that has completely different norms and standards. And then they are not being held by accountable by their original community. And therefore, they, their personal vulnerabilities can lead them to either cooperate with the codependency that's going on around them or what's being thrown at them, or for their own vulnerabilities to start manifesting in the misuse of power or ethical um, issues and problems. So taking people out of their community and then putting them on a pedestal. This happened, we can see this happened over and over and over again with spiritual teachers, with shaman, with medicine men, you know, the list is across the board. It doesn't matter what community they come from, what spiritual tradition they're practicing. Once we take them out of their element, it's much harder for them to stay rooted in their principles and their accountability. And so, that just has to be looked at and addressed. And that conversation has been around for 20, 30 years, if not longer. And so how, where's that level of accountability for the people who are just sort of, you know, and let's come bring it now to power, people who are calling, you know, the self-appointed. 
um, I'm preparing another pose for those of you who are asking, about, well, what about the people where it's not so nice and kind and it's just kind of unfulfilled spiritual longings and stuff like that? What about, you know, the ones who are actively squeezing people for money? Did you read that one about, I can't remember where I saw it, but that, you know, somebody wrote and said, is that, it might have been one of Joel Evans' quotes, mm. I don't know, but um, where somebody wrote and said, "Is it is it normal for for the the shaman to ask you for your debit card and your pin number when you're in the when you're in the Goloka and you're under the influence in case he needs to get something for you?" <laughs> it's like, oh no, oh no, please, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, enough said. Yeah, We're reading yeah. about all kinds of things that are happening, and and why, in part, they're happening is because there's a huge disparity of affluence, a huge disparity between people who are quite happy to fling a thousand dollars at a, a one week retreat or two thousand dollars at a one week retreat, and the people who are helping out, working in these retreats who may be having very, very simple lifestyles. And so that's where personal vulnerabilities, being vulnerable because of poverty or because of lack of, and then it's easy for that door to open to all kinds of ethical misconduct. So that is a piece that just has to be looked at so that it get managed in a way that is transparent and healthy for everyone. People who are going down to Brazil, Peru, Colombia, wherever you're going, Mexico, Costa Rica, all these different places where they're having these retreats. Have you assured yourself of the accountability and how the money is being distributed? Who's receiving the money that you're giving for this retreat? How is it being distributed? Is it equitable to the people who are actually going in the forest and gathering the plants? Is it equitable for the people who are working there and living there. How is that money being distributed? It has to just be transparent, right? So that's one of the problems is money. Money is always a problem yeah. <laughs> with humans, okay? Because of the more issue, you know what I mean by the more issue, right? Yeah. More money you've got, then the more power you have, the more things mm -hmm. you have, the more this you have, the more that. So it's just called more. Money shouldn't be called money, it should be called more. <laughs> Didn't Robin Williams say that about cocaine once? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it equally applies to money. Okay. Now, what about the other things that are happening? Why are people who have limited experience? in helping people who have no training or credentialing in working with people so they're not like a medical doctor, a psychologist, a social worker, a minister in whatever tradition. Um, so they don't have that training to actually work with people so they don't have a code of ethics or they haven't been through their training, apprenticeship and education to understand healthy boundaries, clear communications, Transparency around things like boundaries around money and around sex and around substances and all those things that absolutely have to be discussed. And then our own personal vulnerabilities, you know. 
um, you know, transference and countertransference are realities. They exist everywhere. You can walk in the bank, and in a nanosecond, you can be in countertransference with a dollar. Mm. You know, it's everywhere all the time. All we can do is be aware of it. And so, what's happening here? Why are people going and having some experiences, usually by themselves, often by themselves, and then calling themselves healers or shamans? Do you want to? Are you ready for me to start putting out some thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I I have speculations, but I That's I don't fair. know the answer. Well, I think that I think people are absent of spirituality, especially in the Western world. They've been separated from any sort of higher power. They've been separated from themselves. They've been separated from their personal power. We live in the in the Western world. We've farmed out the idea of the family to the idea of the state on some level. We take the, the elders and put them in a home. We take our children and put them in a school and then we go work. And the whole relationship is out of balance. And when that happens, you're left, you're left with a hole in your heart. You're, you're left with a lack of communication and understanding. And then all of a sudden you catch a glimpse of it. <gasps> Look at this. This is it down here. I want to follow that. Like you're, it's alien, this idea of the self to so many people. When you see it, you're attracted to it like a moth to the flame. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's good. So, yeah, speaking to the lack of these things, the lack of connection to ourselves, to nature, to community, and the divine. And so when yeah. we stumble across it, it's like, wow, and it takes our breath away. Now, that's all good and fine right up until we decide we're going to hang out a shingle. Yes. <laughs> There's a big stuff missing in between. And, and so what's happening there? Why is this happening? Because, you know, the average person will actually realize that if they want to practice dentistry, they have to go to dental school. And if they want to be a veterinarian, they actually, I mean, it's a difference from just having pets as companions, not just having a dog, but you actually want to be a veterinarian. That's a whole other thing. You know, nothing stops you if you're a decent, average, ordinary person that's going to feed your dog and walk your dog or your cat or what have you. From having a companion animal. But when you go practicing on anybody else's companion animals, that's a whole other yeah. thing, you know? And so, what is it that happens? So, there's a few things, okay? We've touched on personal vulnerabilities and, you know, unfulfilled spiritual longings and the desire to help and to serve and to give and to share. And I love this so much and it was so wonderful for me that I want you to share in it. And I touched the hand of God. I want you to touch the hand of God. I experienced the divine light. I want you to experience the divine line. You know, I threw up my entire bad karma. I want you to throw up your entire bad karma. So, I mean, there's that part of it, you know, and, and, and so, you know, a person who feels like that, you know what, it's better to attach yourself to an existing situation where there are credentialed and or apprentice people and, and, and learn how to work with people. Okay, either go to school or go into an apprenticeship line if you feel that thing. Now, why some people don't is often, you know, the sense of entitlement, the sense of ego. I've had people actually say to me, I don't need training. <laughs> I don't need any training. Everything that I need, I get from my guide. My guide tells me what to do. Okay, God bless. Um, that's okay for you, but um, you're going to work with people? 
that's okay if your guide is guiding you. I have no problem. That's great. You know, carry on. God bless. But now you're going to take that, that you kind of have the right to work with other people because you have found something within yourself. Okay, so there's that ego piece. It, in in it's it's something that we watch for in the Sankadani. I'm assuming other heritage traditions are looking for the same thing. And it's basically somebody who's in a narcissistic bubble. Yeah, they're in a narcissistic bubble. I'm it. I don't need anything else. I know everything. As I said, I've seen the light. I'm now enlightened. Who, who was it who posted that lovely little thing? I, I reached in alignment. I'd like to give the, the shout out to the right person. I can't think it was just... I think it was Shannon. Shannon Duncan. It, it might have been Shannon. Okay, it might have been yeah. Shannon. Okay, so shout out to Shannon that, you know, oh, I'm enlightened. You know, I've killed, <laughs> I've killed my ego or I've yeah. transferred my ego or something. It's a version of a very cool, common one. You know, now I'm better than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm it. Okay, so... That's the narcissistic bubble, okay? And it's been talked about since, uh, that I'm aware of, since the 60s. And we were talking about it back then in the 60s when people were taking all these substances and things were happening, Ram Dass was writing, and, you know, everybody was singing about it and writing about it and asking questions about it, like, what do we do with the narcissistic bubble? Because when somebody's in a narcissistic bubble, they're in it. And any attempt to penetrate the narcissistic bubble will be considered personal attack and will be repelled strongly. And it will be repelled often because they've perceived it as a personal attack when it isn't, okay? They will respond with a personal attack. And, and this is just classic narcissistic bubble behavior. The best thing to do with it is just kind of God bless, live long and prosper, all good vibrations to you and keep moving. Okay. You can't engage in that. You can't engage in it because somebody is not willing and are not ready. When that, those kind of bubbles, the person has to want to open the door and come out of that bubble and has to want to. Okay. If they don't want to, guess what? They won't. And that can make it difficult, okay? So we have to be aware. If we see that we're getting involved in a situation, somebody says, oh, you should go to this event, retreat, happening, whatever, you know? And the thing is, is a lot of narcissists are very charismatic. Most of our politicians are, most of our Hollywood stars are. A certain amount of narcissism is indigenous to being human. We all have some small n narcissism, okay? All of us, mm -hmm. and we all need to be aware of it. That does not make us a narcissist or a narcissistic personality disorder. Just we have to know our own garden variety of narcissism and just come to terms with it. So it, it, it can be brilliant, can be charismatic, can be all kinds of things that look like a great light, but because of that, because there's no credentialing, there's no apprenticeship, there's no, or there could be some of that. There could be people who are, have been recognized as being teachers or psychologists and or doctors and or, you know, choose any, any venue and who are also in a narcissistic bubble and who can, you know, willfully, with willful ignorance, 
doing harm to others because of that, because of the lack of openness to support peer-feared feedback, peer review, for colleagues and friends to be able to sit down and say, hey, Fred, Sally, whatever your name is, mm -hmm. I think we better talk about this, this thing that's happening here. Can we talk about it? And that willingness to communicate and have transparency about concerns, that can be really scary for people. And so people can slide into codependency. And the next thing you know is you have a whole bunch of people who are keeping quiet around the guru, the shaman, the healer, because they've bounced off the narcissistic bubble a couple of times and been put in their place with a personal attack, okay? Because remember, the narcissist will, in the bubble, will perceive any feedback as a personal attack rather than just simply information. Information that's being given respectfully. So, so we have personal longings, unfulfilled spiritual desires and longings. We have narcissism. A sense of entitlement i can do what i want nobody tells me what to do okay i know everything okay and then we have let's take it one step further we have malintent mm. there is one step yeah. further. you know uh people who've written about evil tend to write about evil in a few ways one in a very kind of religious way which is not helpful for most people okay cast it out Okay, that's not so helpful for most people. Okay, the transpersonal way is, I think, a much healthier way to look at things, which is, is this mine? If it's mine, okay, if it belongs to me, then I need to deal with it. And and, and if it feels like it's not mine, where did it come from? Is this an, an old belief system that I got that causes me to believe something that makes me act this way? Like, let's take entitlement. If I was taught that I'm marvelous and wonderful and special and can do everything that I want anywhere, anytime, then that's going to fluff up the narcissistic bubble quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah. You know? And, and then, you know, that's mine. That's my bubble. <laughs> okay? No matter how it got started, it is now mine. And I'm keeping it in place. And I'm shining it and polishing it and making sure that it, I'm looking good. Right? instead of I'm dealing with it, I'm dealing with it. And so we go the that's the next step, which is deliberate malintent, willful ignorance. I know what I'm doing is hurting someone. I don't care because fulfilling my need is more important in this moment than anything that might happen to you. Now, we see this across the board in all kinds of situations. We see this with, let's do something really prevalent in our world, which is addictions to alcohol, alcoholism. And uh, although I don't have personal experience, direct personal experience with this, um, the blessing of having parents who didn't have addictions of that level, for sure, um, or a partner, or a life partner, or what have you, or children. But I know from my own work and research and work with clients for all these decades that 
this is a really difficult challenge for so many people on both sides of the story, right? The person who has the addiction needs a lot of support and clarity and love. And the people who are on the other side, the family members, they need support and clarity and, and good tools to work with, okay? But you can't tell me that the alcoholic doesn't know that when they head out to drink that it's not going to lead to a pretty place. And that's what creates what John Bradshaw says is the cycle of shame. Mm. Because they know. They know that when they take this drug or when they do this thing, that this leads to a cycle of shame. And the cycle of shame then because becomes the thing that they then need to comfort. And so then after a while, they go out and whatever it is they do, and then they go back in their cycle of shame. So it's breaking the cycle of shame. So there's that level where a lot of education and skills and support and help is needed. Okay. And then are there people in the world who just, is it nature or nurture, but are there people in the world who truly don't care? Are there sociopaths? That's what they call it. Are there psychopaths and sociopaths? Yes, actually, there are. There are. And that's immensely sad. And we need compassion, but we also need extremely healthy boundaries. And we need enormous wisdom to be able to not... I have seen people pathologize spirituality. People have heard me say this before. And I have seen people spiritualize psychopathology. And not knowing the difference is huge for people who are working with psychedelics and agents because you know recent anybody who watches the news recent research on cannabis here in canada they made cannabis legal and regulated now i was in favor in that because there's so much problem with it being not legal right i'm in favor of it the same way how can you have tobacco and alcohol legal and not have cannabis legal? but there for me the regulation should have been more strict Okay, and so be it. They are now realizing the amount of problems that have increased, the number of psychoses that have happened because of cannabis. I mean, the, they just stuck all the research up on the 10 o'clock news and said, here it is, folks, take a look. Since legalization, what was it, five years ago, six years ago, this is what's increased as a direct result. It wasn't COVID. COVID didn't do this, okay? COVID did its own thing. This is as a direct product. These are cannabis related. The same way you can say drinking and driving does this, right? Yeah, people have accidents anyway when they haven't been drinking, for sure. But you add alcohol into the mix, you're going to have a lot more accidents. So there's, if people are choosing, deliberately choosing to call themselves healers and shamans and what have you, and serving people or providing people with so that they take it along or serving it and being present with them, then if they do not understand the consequences and the responsibility of serving people and all of the implications, the seriousness of it, sure, some people may have these fabulous, wonderful experiences and they, you know, encounter beings that are marvelous and see wonderful things and have great internal experiences and that's wonderful okay and yet there's all these other problems 
people who take it alone and have all these difficult experiences. People that people don't want to know about and they don't want it written about. And then people who are serving and getting into all kinds of problems because they get caught up because they, it's the money thing, and it's the sex thing, and it's the power thing. And so the misuse of power, the misuse of sexuality, the misuse of issues around money and, and boundaries and limitations becomes so much more blurry where there's no principles in place, where there's no code of ethics in place, where there's just kind of a one-on-one -on -one or here, go and do it alone in your own home. And so these are really important questions that need to be asked. And, you know, and for those who aren't aware, it's actually illegal here in Quebec, and I think in the rest of Canada, to call yourself a therapist when you're not, to call yourself a healer, it's actually illegal. And people don't realize that. You know, people don't realize that. It's not a, it's not a huge big deal to go out and, I mean, through the years I've, I've encouraged people to take a life coaching program. It's a two-year certificate program. You'll learn some great stuff in the two years. You'll learn about ethics and accountability and what your limits are and what you can call yourself. And you don't have to invest and become a psychiatrist and put 11 years of your life into it. You can put two years in. But go and do it. Go and do it. And kind of that's like the minimum certificate that I could recommend that people do that. And, and at least then you will have some absolute basics to be working with. And, and then ask yourself some deep questions. Why am I serving people? Is this about me? Is this about helping the universe? Is this about, what is this about? Why am I doing this? Is it a calling? Is it a mission? What is it? Those are the questions that any people need to ask themselves. I can't answer any of those questions for anybody else but myself. So feedback. Where are you? Where'd you go to, George? Mm -hmm. Well, it, you know, I think there's there's an interesting question on my mind that I think you are uniquely qualified to answer. And it's this idea that the best predictor of future behavior is past relevant behavior. And it seems mm -hmm. to me that you know, if we look back on psychedelics and you reference some, some, you know, some of your work back in the, the 80s and, and even before then in, in your experiences, it seems to me like in the in the 60s, like the late 50s to the 60s was this transition from entheogens and psychedelics from a medical container outside the lab. And that's when you began to see things like Jonestown and all these other it, things. Do you it, think that if, if that's a that's a potential pattern that could be happening almost now? Are we in the similar frame? Well, it, things are happening. It hasn't certainly, please, and right. it, fingers crossed, it doesn't right. get to that kind of thing. But I, I mean, you know, there was, I was being reminded recently um, about the person who decided, who declared themselves to be a sweat lodge leader, okay? And again, sweat lodge is a deep, long-term indigenous tradition that takes years and years of apprenticing before you are really given permission to lead your own sweat lodges, okay? And this person decided I'm a sweat lodge keeper, okay? And and killed everybody because he covered the he covered the sweat lodge with a tarp because he thought it might rain. Hmm. Which no sweat lodge leader would ever permit. I've heard a sweat lodge leaders look and say, the weather's not good, we won't be doing the sweat lodge today. 
vibrations aren't right. No, no, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll gather tomorrow. I've been in, in you know, uh, waiting for the comitiva to arrive with the padrino, and the padrino's walked in and he said, The mediums aren't here, so we won't be doing the St. Michael's work or Cora. We'll be doing a simple concentration because we don't have the mediums. And so here you have the intelligent, experienced, wise decisions that are made. When you assess in the moment, you assess who's here and what's happening. And that takes apprenticeship, that takes training, that takes wisdom, that takes many, many years to learn when to do what and why you're doing it and who you're calling and when to look at somebody and say, okay, we need to give you some water right now. Okay, you need to go lay down right now. You know, I, I, I hear this whole other conversation about mediumship. I hear these mm. horrific stories, okay? I mean, we have to warn people coming into our church. This is the kind of mediumship we accept in our church, and you're not allowed to do that. Okay, so we do not permit people in our church. We have a lot of people who come, and all of a sudden they're mediums. Okay, they've had this, you know, and something's opened and they're going to read people's auras and they're going to, they see dark beings and they're going to remove their dark being. And it's like, no, you don't get to do that, actually. Okay. And people come in from all kinds of backgrounds and you have to tell them, you can't do this. We work in the line. We work with certain beings in the line. We serve those guardians of the light. We don't make any claims for personal healing. We don't go over to people and start touching them to get to the place where I would give someone permission to touch somebody else. That's many years. Okay. But you've got people who self-acclaimed healers and mediums and all kinds of stuff. And there, and I, I, you have a dark being and you had a past life. And I see that you've got a thing and you've got a that. I heard a horrific story about somebody going to a particular place here in Canada. And the person walked around, the person leading the event walked around with some kind of a staff or something and was tapping people and saying, oh, you have a heart thing and and uh, and it's because your grandmother was a witch and you have a this because of that and you have a dark being and you have, a, you know, and these, these people doing this and, and you have a demon and you have a dark being. And of course, I'm the only person who can remove it from you. <laughs> and then we <laughs> <like> the facts. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I, I heard I heard I heard stories that are really you know, and the thing is, is is people can be very deeply affected by that. This can create tremendous harm, real harm to other people. Now, hey, it's vastly different. If you're going to go and hang your shingle out somewhere, I'm a medium, and then people call you up, knowing what you do. Okay, and make an appointment with you and understand to be there on Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon, and they're going to be paying 150 bucks for the time they spend with you, and you're going to be doing a reading on them of some kind, at which point they may tell you something about your past lives or your aura or what's in your space. That, for me, is vastly different than people going into some kind of what they think is going to be a spiritual experience or a personal growth experience where they're going to be taking a psychedelic or an entheogen and then they are under the influence in a very powerful non-ordinary state of consciousness and being told things like this. 
This is not acceptable. Not in my world. Not acceptable. You you do hear the vast differences, right? Of course. But this is unfortunately what is happening in many places. You know, people claiming to be mediums, claiming to be healers, claiming to be psychics, claiming to be all kinds of things. And and you know, I'm gonna move back into in my position. What I see is is in the history of the human experience, there have always been people who have some kind of talent or gift or understanding about working with people. And they became medicine men and medicine women because they loved the plants and they felt like they could talk to them and they understood which ones could help you here and which ones could help you there. Yes, a lot of them were burnt as witches and killed as what have you because they had beliefs that didn't align with the religious beliefs at the time, right? So there's been a lot of persecution that's happened um, because of, on the part of um, these very traditional heritage practices. But the thing is, 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 is those men and women who practice this, they earned their titles because they apprenticed with, it's like midwives through all these millions of years. Midwives, apprenticed, often since the time they're small children, five, six years old, they'd be apprenticing. They'd feel drawn to when the babies are being born. And they'd be apprenticing and learning. They'd study years and years with a senior midwife until she handed over. Say, you're ready. Go deliver a baby. Okay. And so that's how it was. You apprenticed for years to learn something, whether it was carving or music or midwifery or plant medicine. You apprenticed for years. Now, our culture has changed. But my, my proposition to everybody listening is, Either go into an apprenticeship situation with somebody who you trust and respect, or go out and get some education and some credential. Those are the only true paths open for people who really want to work in non-ordinary states of consciousness. Are there skilled people out there? Yes. Then what stops them from doing what needs to be done? Where are you at, Jerry? I'm just, I, I think it speaks volumes of the idea of lived experience. And on some level, I, I think it, it speaks to this idea that we see in the community, especially within theogens and psychedelics, is there is this, there's this divide between someone who has gone to medical school being able to serve versus someone who has lived experience. And, and sometimes it's an either or, but maybe it should be a both and. Maybe those people should be working together on a team. They should to help be working. Yeah, they should be working together. I'm a great believer in in the team effort, and right. I think that this is the way forward. Yeah. Okay, this is the way forward. Let's take a moment. I know time is running on. We yeah, should probably fine. close up in a minute or two. But let's talk about medical intuitives. Okay, this is something that has come up from time to time. Okay, my understanding of a true medical intuitive is this: that they are they receive that title as a medical intuitive based on the fact that their efforts have been acknowledged by a team of people who are actually medical doctors and allied health professionals. My understanding, based on having participated in a minor way in a research project a few decades ago now that included medical intuitives, um, 
what is that a medical intuitive doesn't go and do any particular reading and then work with the person. But what they do is they do their reading and they'll often do it remotely. And, and then they'll sit with the medical team and which could include a doctor and any other specialist or health professional needed for the situation. They will give their impressions or their, their diagnosis. And what makes them become a true medical intuitive is the accuracy, the accuracy of their diagnosis and how it dovetails into their the actual situation of the patient so if if nine or ten times out of ten the person is accurate in what they perceive within the person okay this person they may say okay there's something wrong with the liver and the person you know there's this and 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 i recommend that the person do this this and this so maybe changing their diet and maybe doing something else or that they may be holding certain things in their liver and then the medical doctor says yeah they have cancer in the liver <laughs> okay so yeah this person read it right so this is how the medical intuitive gets known as a medical intuitive because they work with the team they count on the team they're a member of the team and this is how the prophets used to work you know Prophets only became a prophet because what they said came to pass. You weren't called a prophet until so many of the things that you prophesied came to pass. And when people saw, oh, they said this was going to happen, it happened. So once it happened three times or five times or ten times, and especially it's happening from a young child, a young child is saying, we need to be careful of this and we need to watch out for that or don't trust that person. Okay. Then they see. Okay, now we can call this person a prophet because we know that what they say is going to come to pass in some form or another versus self-acclaimed prophets. Mm. I talk to God and God talks to me and you guys have to do this because that's what God told me to tell you. That you mm -hmm. should be doing. No, 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 no. Run, run, <laughs> run. Okay, run. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same for all of these other categories in my world. Now, this is just my opinion, my worldview, watching this happen for the last 50 odd years, scratching my head and trying to understand it and concerned about the future. Because those of us who are seriously involved in these paths, we look at what's happening. And if there are enough problems that happen, if there's enough deaths, if there's enough psychoses, if there's enough this, then rather than regulations, there being more positive regulations for use, there will be closing down again. Mm -hmm. And unless people who really feel, I mean, there's a lot of really good people out there who have spent years and possibly decades uh, kind of apprenticing in, in different ways and times and have accumulated, let's call them an apprenticeship overall then they should be partnering with people um, and so that they ensure that they have um, you know that what they're doing is really a benefit and that they and by partnering with people that they are creating the best opportunity for everybody to be you know, together in the same ethical and accountable kind of worldview Okay, we're all making sure that we're on the same ethical page. We're all counting on each other, Georgia. I count on yeah. you to help hold me accountable. You know, I'm willing to help hold you accountable. Yeah. That that's the kind of peer support that we need.
if we don't have that, we're going to go astray pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that the, the, I don't want to say rewards, but the, the, not enticement's not the right word either, but the, um, the desire on some level to wrap your arms around something that is so powerful, you know, leads people astray. That, that, the, the, the temptation is the right word. The temptation to, to do it is very powerful. And, and, and that's why you need guidelines. You need people, you need elders, you need people that have dealt with temptation and seen the dark side of it and maybe touched it on some level or been close to it. You know, you, yes, you need or, that. or even fallen off, off the path, right straight into it and had to it's crawl, a, yes. climb to get back on the path. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, this is this is how we all learn and and yeah. you know some of us just need to put our finger in it and others need to do a deep dive i'm, I'm going to share a story quickly before because it's indicative yeah, of, of, of deliberate intentional willful okay um yeah. it, part of the story is is in volume one of my books um it comes from a larger story as these things always do but um, there is a, a man who is the leader of a church, a large church in the Rio de Janeiro area, who has a very well-known reputation for problems, cannabis addiction, rage, rage temper, tantrums, wow, and, um, and inappropriate sexual behavior, including non-consensual, okay? But jurisdiction mm -hmm. has always been the problem, and so... And how things got handled down there in that center and their allied centers. In the very early days in my Santo Dami journeys, I had visited that center on a number of occasions and had profound experiences and deep apprenticeships, okay, and learned a tremendous amount of things. But after a short while, I started to notice there was problems. Remember, I don't know the culture, I don't speak the language, so it takes a little while to figure out that there's something going on, right? And so I sat with this man and I said to him, mm, you do know you have, can I ask a question? He also says you can ask a question. I said, have you noticed you do have a problem with anger? It did take mm, seven of us to hold you down because you wanted to go and kill somebody. I mean, <laughs> such rage that he actually wanted to go. He was so angry that someone had called him out. Here is something on the narcissistic bubble. Okay. Somebody had called him out on his cannabis addiction and 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 he wanted to go over and basically kill them so this you bang on that bubble hard enough and you're going to get it all back at you so this is why a lot of people go into code either slink away or go into codependency and start trying to please the petty tyrant mm -hmm. and he's your classic example of codependent. so i said to him you do know you have a problem with rage right and he says, well, yeah. And, he, and I said, well, and, you know, and <laughs> I was taking all my courage to confront yeah. him. And, and, and he looks at me and he smiles and he says, hmm, I have a door inside of me that when I open it, two very dark things come through. Thank you. You've been a wonderful teacher. <laughs> We're done. I have a door. In other words, it's my door. Mm -hmm. When I open it, I know who comes through. 
I let them come through. I invite them through. I wrote a paper called An Open Door. <laughs> it's, you can all find it on my website. It's about mediumship and some basic little things about mediumship. Um, some of that information is in volume one of my books. But this is the perfect example to me of willful. I have a door. When I open that door, two very dark beings come through me knowing that those two dark beings will cause harm and do damage. This is like you having two dogs who you know have been trained to kill. And you see the neighborhood kids playing and their ball has gone on your front lawn. You don't like that. So you've been adoring the dogs. Here. So yes, there is that. There are people who know. They know they're doing harm. They know. And another session, if you want, can be <laughs> why do people go to codependent and give away their power? Yeah. Because I've seen this so not. What happens to people that they give away their power to other people? Women give away their power, it seems much more so than men. That's because of patriarchal systems. Okay. But why do people give away their power? And then they're furious that they've given away their power. Okay. And they're furious the person they've given it to. So if you're interested, that's a whole other yeah. conversation. Let's do that one. Yeah. Part two on power. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great segue into that. And I think it's um it's really relevant. So let's do that one. Okay. It's been grand. It's been grand. We wandered around a little bit. I hope that it's been helpful for people. Remember, it's just my personal opinion. There's going to be lots of people who will not agree with this, and that's okay. That's all right. There's room for everybody's opinion. But I hope that in the conversation, there are a few things to help people think. Just to reflect, to stop and do an inner reflection about how am I managing this and how am I doing it? And is there anything I could be doing that could help? the situation be better through more accountability, more transparency, more conversation, more support, more impeccability. What can I be doing that will help this? So that's the question I leave our listeners with. It's been grand. Thank you, George. Always a joy. Mm -hmm. You're the greatest host. <laughs> Thank you. But thank you for being here. I, I truly appreciate it. And I think those are great questions to leave people with. And I applaud the recent posts that are going viral. And I see them as invitations to engage in the conversation. And I, I appreciate that. And I hope everyone else sees it the same way because it's a they're great. And I love it. And I think it's very valuable. So ladies and gentlemen, please check if you if you uh, if you're watching, here's what the books look like. This is volume one and volume two of a set. Go down, check them out. Go check out Dr. Jessica Rochester's site. It's a brand new site. It's full of amazing information. You'll find the way to navigate it is easy to use and it's fun and it's ton of it's got a lots of resources. So check it out. That's all we got for today. Dr. Jessica Rochester, thank you so much for your time. Always insightful, always loving, and I really appreciate it. So that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a beautiful day. Aloha. Aloha everyone, 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.